Okay. That's good. Here we go. What's up? So, uh, I guess welcome to Off the Rails Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're just doing a little mini episode today that um, uh, about a Quillette article that came out on the 17th, or sorry, the 11th of, uh, of December this year. Yeah, um, really fascinating article. Um, you know, we just kind of wanted to, you know, two-hour episodes are as fun as they are. We all know that everybody, you know, can't just commit two hours. So we thought, right. you know, kind of hyper-focusing on this article and giving us like a little, you know, hour episode, uh, just kind of like hash it out, we thought would be kind of a cool idea for everybody, uh, you know, just kind of see our process and kind of how we talk about stuff and how we kind of, you know, digest and, uh, you know, regurgitate back to each other. That sounds much grosser than I... <laughs> That's okay. You know that sounds what? much grosser I, than uh, and I, it sounds much better in my head. I'm than... more than likely uh, to put out some type of sexual reference. Yeah, yeah, you know, in yeah. almost every episode. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah. Probably just, more uh, than once. Yeah, yeah, people are now visualizing that I just said we're going to regurgitate in each other's mouths. That's uh, well, to that the should, yeah, should be adopted equal article. Let's get to it. So the article is titled "Sad Radicals." It was written by Connor Barnes. Yes, and. As we said, put on uh, the Colette platform on the 11th of December uh, this year. You'll probably be hearing this in 2019. Or actually, no, you might be hearing it this month. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, we don't know. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're, yeah. we're 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 working on hosting details. I think we have like 16 days left with a certain amount, but we might post this soon. Who knows when you're going to hear it? But it's not time specific, so that's that's <laughs> right, better. I mean, right? You're always like, yes, and we're we're in Oregon, and if you want to come and find us, no, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, still, I'll give you my phone yeah, number. Yeah, you're still you're so you're so good at letting people know exactly what we are, what we're doing, what time it is to the second. So. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, especially his recounting of him growing up a kind of troubled young man if that's not triggering and uh and being kind of brought up in a in a radical community yeah. radical activists and anarchists and you know he basically talks about his what that community was like and then his transition out of it yeah and i think right. uh, he has a lot of really good insights because you know here's somebody that was you know you know really just integrated into that culture at a very vulnerable emotional state in his life and then he's able to kind of like you know leave that ideology and kind of get out of that sort of radicalism and then just be like oh well this is kind of crazy this is what i've seen from there and this is what i think is connective and i think like you know his reflection on his experience is 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 pretty you know there's a lot of good stuff in there mm -hmm. yeah um, I, I wanted to read a, a quote of of his from the article so in his time in the kind of radical community, he felt that it was appropriate to kind of define it in terms that are easily understood. Yeah. Because when you throw that kind of word around, you know, it's like, what does that actually mean? And so he wrote, um, uh, he well, he defined radical community as a community that shames that uh, – oh, my God, I can't even read my own handwriting. <laughs> yeah, uh, shames uh, – shares both an ideology of – complete dissatisfaction with existing society due to its oppressive nature and a desire to radically alter or destroy that society because it cannot be redeemed by its own means. And I think that's really appropriate. I think uh, so too. I think it's like, you know, again, to go back to David Brooks, I've said this but, but again, I think that's like, you know, it's, it's the radicalism that he's talking about. His term is like, it's the actual wrong answer to a very right question. Right, uh, right. You know, yeah, because, similar situation there. Um, you know, he goes on, you know, throughout the piece that the main kind of language game that that these radicals are playing is this kind of lens of compassion, you know, because they it's basically a reaction to the kind of uh, suffering and oppression that they see in the world, right? Yeah. And so they have to kind of 
develop a mode of thought, you know, that views them as, you know, the kind of, um, I guess, you know, more, you know, higher moral position, position rather, where they are like, hey, no, we're compassionate, you know, and everywhere we look, you know, if we see oppression, then we have to do something about it. Right, and that's hilarious because I feel like that's just, a, it's a complete, you know, it's irony. Like that's mm-hmm. not, I don't think that that's compassion at all. Like it's funny that, you know, they're, you you know, they're forming it in this whole compassionate kind of mind frame, but in actuality, you know, they're very hateful, uh, you know, very attacking, you yeah. know, and what they deem is morally acceptable. Um, they're and bothersome. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's, you know, there's no real satisfying. I think, you know, when he talks about how, you know, in order to keep being relevant, they have to keep, you know, finding, what does he say? Something about uh, looking for extremists in mundane situation where you have to look for the absurdities or you have to look for the, you know, the oppression in the mundane or, yeah. you know, the, the, the moral dilemmas and things that, you know, maybe you're searching for that moral dilemma more than you should just really recognize what's there and what's not there. Right. And, um, what you know, what he does too, playfully, he uses... You know, if you're familiar with the metaphor, you know, if you're a hammer, you know, then everything that you see is a nail. Right. right which and is... he flips that by saying, if you're the nail, you know, meaning that if you're, you know, if you're oppressed, then everywhere you look, you see hammers. Yeah. You yeah. are attempting to, to do more harm it's to you. It's a sense of naive realism. You know, it's a sense of like, this is how I view the world. And I believe the entire world is this way. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, there's, I guess, uh, what's that famous quote? I, don't, I think it's... Um, it's Gandalf, I think, in, in Lord of the Rings, where he's like, you know, you always have to remember that there's good forces in play as well. Yeah. Like, you know, it's always like yeah. the evil forces. It's not are just evil Yeah, it's not world, just yeah. evil in the world. Like, there's there are good people, there are good forces that are trying to combat that. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, just the whole idea of, you know, compare when he compares it to religion, and it's totally right. It's a community. It's a, it's a shared you know, sense of purpose. And he makes a comment on how it's kind of a duality of a lot of them are people that are depressed and anxious and don't know their place in the world. And so it's easy to fall into that kind of like community and that trap. But then he's like, there's also people that just love being violent that are kind of like, oh, hey, like this is a way for me to, you know, just kind of... Right, and as long as they're, they're speaking the same language, they're yeah. like, hey, you're fighting the good fight. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah, and I just think too, you know, for even for people like me where it's, you know, like, yes, I, I critique, you know, capitalism and I'm not a giant fan of it, but I don't necessarily think that it's evil, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I, that's right. just, you know, it's a little, I guess, radical for me. Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> clever, how clever. Yeah, yeah. It's, clever it's, boy, it's, yeah. Clever boy, yeah. You know, instead of clever girl, like the Jurassic Park quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, what's interesting, too, about that is, you know, bringing up the, the religious aspect of that kind of ra- radicalism is that, you know, I mean, first of all, it's not the, you know, he's certainly not the first person no, to kind of bring of course that up. Not. Um, of course not. You know, I was really, you know, I knew that this kind of stuff was going on a few years ago. At least as far as, like, the kind of intersectional left. But I didn't know the extent of it until I read... Um, well, first of all, I heard about the event with Charles Murray at Middlebury College when yeah. he was, uh, you know, when there were protesters and he got kicked out there. Um, but Andrew Sullivan, uh, a writer over at New York Magazine, you and I are both big fan of his. Yeah, Andrew Sullivan's um, great. Was... You know, he wrote a piece about inter- is intersectionality a new religion. And the way in which he formed it, it just... It makes total sense, you know, in the way that they operate right it's about you know if you're if you're born white or a white male you know that's like your original sin 
right? Or if you're if you take part, you know, in the patriarchy or capitalism, then you're the sinners, right? And you have to repent by constantly, you know, uh, affirming basically your guilt right. and affirming everybody else's oppression by like, oh yeah, no, you're you clearly you're oppressed people, and we need to do everything that you can to do that. And anytime you critique that kind of view, then you're viewed as uh, you know, immoral, and then, but unfortunately, though, there's there's really no way to repent. There's no way to actually overcome your guilt, your white guilt, or whatever you know phrase of the day that they're choosing to use. Like you can't redeem yourself in any way, right? But I think too, you know, it's uh, like the quote that she that he says. Um, you just you know you talk about girls and boys, and it got me all distracted. Oh, but I know, he yeah. says <laughs> he says. Um, uh, they be, they become you know guardians of you know of of their beliefs as opposed to seekers of truth. Mm, yeah. And you know I actually <laughs> really like that quote. And, and again, that kind of resonates for me. And kind of you look at like this religious aspect of you know they have faith and and their hatred towards towards the the oppression that they are seeing. Um, and so instead of you know wanting to seek truth and, and maybe what's causing that oppression, maybe what's you know, happening there, they, you know, they're choosing to, to be guardians of what they believe is morally correct. And, you know, and I think, you know, there for them too, he also makes a comment that, you know, for them, morality and politics are kind of interwoven, you know, he says, sure, like, yeah, uh, in their yeah. understanding of them. Yeah. And real quick too, you know, there's a, there's that beautifully fits with, uh, another kind of religious, uh, symbolism. You know, we were talking off mic yesterday about, um, uh, the book of Genesis and the, you know, in the, uh, in the Bible and about how <clears throat> when the devil tempted Adam and Eve, you know, to eat from the fruit, you know, yeah. the tree of knowledge, he's like, Hey, eat this, you'll get wisdom. And it's like, mm, that sounds interesting. And, you know, Adam is like, Oh, Hey, God said, you know, we can't do that. We should just have faith right. and everything like that. And, and even the devil are like, yeah, but wisdom sounds pretty good, you know? And, and so what these people are kind of doing is, is, is the exact opposite. They're, they don't care about truth. Right. They're much worried they're much more concerned about their the faith in their cause, you know. Like we should, you sh- we shouldn't go out seeking the truth of the matters because that could potentially be more harmful. Than right, and even if you, you know, even if you want to say the snake is the devil or not, because I believe right. that's kind of up for interpretation. Sure. what the snake represents, but you know, yeah, you know, when we were talking off mic, I was just kind of like fascinated when I was rereading, you know, the Bible. And uh, for those of you. I want to know, but the the new international version is kind of what I have, like the most you know, kind of most modern, updated print of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah. take it what you will. You know, obviously, not, there's translations, you're not, and you're not reading old. I'm not reading Bible, old yeah. ancient stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, it was really interesting because God had just told Adam and Eve, "If you eat the fruit, you're going to die." Um, now, of course, maybe he's being metaphorical. Maybe he's just being like, "Your paradise will die." You know, I'm not. I won't. I won't discredit that. But you know. All the snake had said is, you know, I've always said that they've been, they were tempted by the snake. So I thought that there was going to be, you know, before I've ever read the story myself, just talking with people about knowing these stories, I thought that it was going to be tempted with lust or all these things. But mm-hmm. no, the one thing he used to tempt them with is wisdom and yeah. understanding. And, and, you know, that was enough to get them to eat the fruit. And, you know, they were punished for that. And so like that idea of, you know, it's, it's almost taboo to, to want to seek understanding and wisdom and just kind of believing and but where does that belief get you? Like you know, I would love to, 
you know, I love to find a radicalist and, and ask them, you know, personally, I'm just like, you know, what is you, what is the, what's your end goal? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you know, uh, I think one of the best quotes I wrote down, uh, too, is, is, uh, right here. Conversation is less romantic than confrontation. <laughs> yeah, right. That's genius. Yeah. Um, because that's what it is. Like, it's this, this ro- romance of this, you know, and is it self-fulfilling? Like, is this, are they, do they really believe that they're part of this like kind of bigger plan to help all? Or is it like more, if it, you know, it's more of trying to be self-validating and self-meaning because, you so know. That's where I think a lot of it probably lies, right? right. You know, somewhere, I haven't read the book yet, but, uh, you know, in uh, Greg Lukianoff and uh, Jonathan Haidt's uh, new book, The Coddling of the American Mind, you know, a lot of that is kind of inferred, right, in these the way in which these younger people, because it is typically younger people who kind of fall into this kind of radicalism, is that a lot of what they're after, you know, first of all, they start off as troubled individuals, right? And a lot of what they're after is a kind of self-affirming vindication, you know, of what they're doing. Like, oh, no, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not troubled. Like, there's just a system oppressing me and, like, I need to overcome this kind of. Uh, this kind of deal, and um, and you're not wrong, yeah. and I think that's a that's a very thin line that I have trouble navigating. Right. Is that you know I you know on one hand one side of the coin I do believe you know as you know people will find out once they hear a capitalism episode that you know my thoughts on capitalism are not very positive. I'm not a very fan of that system. I do think that you know it does lead to you know I guess oppression for me is a heavy term. I don't know if I'd go that far. Sure, um, I would go They're for. Radical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I would maybe say that like it it is set up to to develop greed and to to have a lot of people live in luxury while a lot of people suffer out of their basic needs. So I would say that, you know, it is a system that is skewed to to continue to give power to those that have money. It's a pay-to-play system and, and it, it's a free market is great, but it's easy manipulated. I think, you know, capitalism oftentimes you know, he talks about that too about not equating for human nature. You know, a lot of things that we do, we don't kind of equate. And I think that's also, you know, in our first episode about flaws in American democracy, I think democracy, again, is one of those things that has a system that, that kind of works in theory, but it, it's not equating for, you know, the way that human nature is about right. you know, taking things over. And I think this is the same situation applies. So I get that. But at the same time, I'm also, you know... I also have a job and I work hard and I do that because I like a roof over my head and I like to buy the things that I want to buy and I don't want to, you know, you know, choose to be homeless because I'm going to fight the system. Like, mm-hmm. so maybe you can, that can be hypocritical or for me, I'm trying to find an equal balance of like, yes, I have to work. I got to make money. I got to pay for my things. Well, that's the thing too, is I am boggled by why something like that is such an off-putting idea to some of these radicals right like what is so wrong about wanting to have some of your basic needs met when it comes to happiness and well-being right like why is it so wrong to be like yeah i just want a couple nice things or i want a nice house i want some property to myself i want a family you know um uh and there you know and of course that goes back to some other things like why is wisdom and truth so awful right right to some of these people like what is so bad about it is it the fact that reality is a harsh mistress and, oh gosh, I'm sure that's going to be triggering to some people, but, <laughs> you know, but is reality so, I guess, brutal and uncaring and indifferent that people's reaction to that are so strong that like, oh my God, reality can't be this way. You know, it's so hard, you know, for me to live this way. Like I've got to have some type of reaction. Um, well, maybe some, or, you know, maybe just, maybe that. just putting myself in their shoes and trying to show a little sympathy here. Maybe they, 
you know, they have an understanding of what they would want the world to be and what they think is correct for the world to be. And they see that it's kind of not that way. And so, again, I will say this, you know, with even reading that, you know, radicals or, or I believe that like everybody starts, you know, with a decent mind frame or a def- decent place. Yeah. And it yeah. just kind of like grows and you're influenced, right? If you're in a very vulnerable state, there's going to be people that they're going to influence radical change. Um, you know, and, and it could be like that. I think you see that in a lot of alt-right movements, you know, mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, a lot of the radicalist structure that he's talking about, you know, I often thought about, you know, the Richard Spencers of the world and, and yeah. kind of what they're able to do with how they're able to manipulate, um, you know, and make people feel that the world is a certain way when it might, you know, that might be kind of skewed to an ideology that is, has more underlining meaning, but um, it takes, it's going to take some deep thought and some, and, you know, clever ways to, to understand. My biggest question is I can understand why they would believe that. But right. what I want to know is, you know, is, is, is this call out culture or is this, this idea of just like attacking people, you know, fighting fire with fire, is that going to really make the change that they claim that they want to make? Right, you know, in that instance, you know, violence begets more violence, right? You know, and I think, you know, there are a couple of things there that you said, you know, that are interesting. Like, first of all, I think it's important to to note that this is, of course, a, a two-way street, you know, yes. with, with, you know, the alt-right and how they are having the reaction to the world that they find themselves in. Um, you know, this is, this is on both sides of the aisle here. This is not, you know, often you'll probably hear me or read me being highly critical of the left and the way they're... Uh, and the way that they're conducting themselves, um, but the right is not innocent of of that either. Or, you know, they're totally guilty, right? In this case, another thing is too is that the way these radicals are thinking about things, you know, because clearly there are there are issues, you know, with inequality and suffering in the world that they there is they obviously are care care about, right? And what's interesting, you know, he uh, uh, Connor Barnes wrote in his piece about how in the kind of circles that he found himself with, the when there were disagreements, at least with some of the more um, uh, nonviolent and a little bit more intelligent members of those communities, you know, so what they would do is have, you know, quote unquote philosophical discussions yeah. about like how to deal with some of these and uh, you know some of these problems. And it's really funny, you know, because one of the examples he get, you know, he gave is like our our. Are the police human? You know, are uh, I can't remember one of the some of the other examples, but it's things like that that these radicals are having such a problem with that they're willing to think about problems and issues that may not actually exist. Right. You know, like the, like the humanity of our police force. You know, especially something like that when they're confronted with police brutality. Not to say that that isn't an issue or doesn't exist or hasn't existed because I think it can certainly be found out there. But the response is then to like, let's dehumanize them. And I think that's a really common thing that they do is they dehumanize people. Uh, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, ideas that you disagree with. Yeah. Or possibly overhumanize other people. Um, mm, to yeah. the flip side yeah, of that, yeah. he talks about, I love one of the, the things he talks about is, you know, uh, you know, the believe, believing the claimed victim, you know, right, and how, right. Um, you know, that's actually an interesting point about, you know, in, in, a, in like a nuclear family sense and in, in, in a context where everybody involved um, has established this this trust 
right? Mm. Then if, you know, if my best friend, you know, come walk to this door and said, you know, I just got punched in the face, I'm going to be like, oh, you know, I'm probably going to believe him, you know, because sure, yeah. I, we've developed this <clears throat> sense of trust. You have no I feel reason like, not to believe Exactly. Him, yeah. And so, you know, so I think for him, you know, acknowledging that you know, there's some people that, you know, you might give that trust to that might necessarily, that he's 100% positive are exploiting that. Yeah. Um, that are taking advantage, you know, of of the environment of, of making the victim seem 100% right. And, you know, you know, don't get me wrong. People are going to hear that and think like, oh my God, this guy's an asshole. But I'm not, I'm saying that just to see, I'm saying that just yeah. in a sense of, you know, it is good to hear. Are you Brett Kavanaugh? Yeah, sure, Jesus. Yeah. Um, I like beer. Uh, yeah. No, I'm just, uh, that guy's been getting too much shit. I mean, I feel like, oh, I know. you know, and I understand, like I get it, but like he just voted, uh, I don't know if you heard about that, but he voted to um, actually continue to fund Planned Parenthood and not shut that down for uh, stuff. So, hey, hey, world's changing. Maybe yeah, we're making yeah. change. Yeah. God forbid, you know, that we, you know, elect somebody, you know, who we think has a certain amount of politics and, and, and then we're surprised. Yeah. You know, like, oh my gosh. You know, it's like Trump right now wants to pull our troops out of Syria. Yeah. You know, I, like, that's a good thing. Well, I just think what's hilarious, you know, is just that, you know, the Republicans, you know, you you must really want power. You must really want to stay in power to just be like, yeah, Donald Trump, that's our guy. Yeah. That's our dude. Because <laughs> the, he's starting to lose. I don't know. It's just really funny. I mean, it's just, it's the, I, you know, because he's like separated from the Republicans, but he's not separated from the Republicans. I mean, he's certainly not a Republican, right? Like, we, this is, it's obvious that he's not a Republican. Right. But he plays to a lot of what their, um, a lot of what their base is and their ideology because, first of all, that, you know, to him, that's the winning team. Yeah. Right? And he sees the Democrats and, like, they're losers, you know, we're winners. You know, that was a terrible Donald Trump. That was your Donald Trump I know. I thought you were, like, some sort of... I'm constantly working on it. See, it's got to be more like, this is great, okay? Okay? Like, he's got... That's like a gay Donald Trump. (laughs) I guess there's a little bit more lisp, a little more lisp in there that I like to give credit for. It was a gay Donald Trump. That thought. That's hilarious. Um... That would just solve a lot of problems. He would, he couldn't be mad anymore. Like he just like, but he, he don't have always been the best gay, been so good, so yeah. great. I'm Love the best the guy. gay, best yeah. gay. <laughs> um, no, I just you know, yeah. what a character. I just you know, as the actor in me was like, you know, I can't wait until you know somebody does a movie. Right, it might like be a legitimate, like, like, yeah, I'm talking, film. like, I'm talking about, like, <laughs> an art. Wait till you know, twenty years from now, you know, or whatever, yeah. when they decide to make a movie on what we're experiencing right now, right? And the fact that they're going to have to find an actor to do his best to, like, legitimately make, play Trump and yeah. not in a satire way, right? Like, play Trump, you know, because Trump's like the new Nixon. And what I mean by that <laughs> yeah. is not just comparing Watergate and all the scandals there. I'm yeah. talking about just Nixon was such a hander. You know, right. he just had like such a unique voice. <laughs> I am not a crook. Yeah, oh, I am. And so, you know, you've had people that have imitated him and played him throughout different movies throughout the year because he was such a unique kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, Donald Trump is very similar to that. He's very yeah. characteristic. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see well, what actor. You know, this that, that new film Vice starring Christian Bale where he literally plays... Uh, you know, Dick Cheney. Yeah. Like, Dick Cheney, people were not a fan of him. And, you know, he was kind of portrayed as a caricature, you know, after a little while. And it's just like, and yet somebody is t- is playing that part seriously. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I guess we're getting a little bit off the rails. Oh, there we go. We're going um, back. But, to, 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 okay, I guess to, 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 to go back into focus here, the one thing I will, you know, give him credit for is he talks about, you know, you know maybe adding more real actual compassion is going to be, you know, 
a way to kind of better attack these ideas than using kind of hatred. And right. and I think that, again, he's, you know, obviously he's a very smart guy that is now acknowledging that conversation, you know, is actually seeking the truth mm-hmm. is what's going to be more beneficial mm-hmm. than just being a guardian of what you believe is well, right. Well, and you know what's interesting, too? You know, there's something sad and tragically ironic about their, you know, these radical tactics, you know, through the lens of compassion. You know, he mentions in the article that oftentimes they try to have these grandiose and like overly complicated explanations to certain things. Um, like if you, you know, I can't remember one of the examples he gave, but if you're defending the system or if you're, you know, you're just like a normal like blue collar worker, then there must be some something going on in, the, you know, the patriarchal capitalist system, right, that is that is brainwashing you, right? And you need to go out there and and convince these people of their wrongdoing. Um, and it's like, there are times when there are probably simpler explanations. Yeah, pulling for, people out of the cave, I guess, to use your, yeah, use yeah. your metaphor there. But yeah. uh, you're not wrong. I think, uh, what does he say? I thought I found it hilarious. He called them, uh, oh yeah, offense archaeologists. Yes, that's, I love that's, that. I love yeah. that. That is actually yeah. pretty clever. That's hilarious. You know, they're digging for things to be offended by. Um, you know, again, like, like you know, we talked off mic. I sent you that, or I, I, the screenshot I took of, of of a Twitter response to people freaking out about um, you know Santa Claus needing to be um, needing to <laughs> right. be a different like race or gender or gender neutral or, or, gender yeah. neutral or yeah. something like that. You know, and we talked about how funny because you know Chris Kringle or you know he's actually based on a real guy and you know who gave toys to kids and you know it's not like you yeah. know yes he's yes he's a he's a fictional person but somebody had commented saying that this is outrage tactics and they were saying that like yes the people that are on the left that are trying to advocate progressive change you know we know that you know a, the gender of a mythical or not real person is not going to really upset us and so this idea of you know a lot of people on the left you know are also just I guess it's it's the same thing with uh, I see I, I'm just thinking about it now mm-hmm. that I have a random thought in my head. It kind of is a similar connection to gun owners, and let me tell you why. Sure, because you know you often go, I'm a responsible gun owner, and what pisses me off more than anything else is somebody that's irresponsible, and then now like you know it makes all, all of us look bad. all of us look yeah. bad. So like for me, I think here's uh, the left going. You know, we're trying to make some good change here. You know, all this news article comes out, we're like, baby, it's cold outside. Like, ah, you know, everybody freaks out. And then I think the people that are really trying to make change go, look, guys, like, we promise not all of us are going this far. Right. Like, you know, the people that are, you know, and again, because that's why I feel like maybe I have more sympathy for, you know, people that are really, you know, like, ah, I I don't take my You know, another great example, too, is uh, with Sesame Street, you know, uh, Bert and Ernie, the classic, you know, best friends living together, you know, for a long time since, like, at least... At least the late '90s, early 2000s, I recall hearing the, uh, you know, the theory that like they're they're lovers and that you know they're that's uh, been a joke that's been played yeah, on. It's, yeah, it's, it's been, been a long it's time been played coming, on. Yeah, you know, and of course now in the in the culture that we find today, you know, people on the left they're like, look how um, uh, look how compassionate and uh, woke Sesame Street is for doing this kind of thing. And I remember uh, this was uh, I think it was either late last year or, or sometime early this year, HBO after, you know, cause HBO bought, uh, the rice of Sesame street and they publicly, uh, put out a Twitter post where it's saying, it's like Bert and Ernie are not homo are not a homosexual couple. They are puppets. They are genderless. They are sexless. 
they they're not there's nothing that oh, they come can on, do they're together. killing the facade i thought <laughs> damn I, I was getting excited as soon as you told me it's like wait 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 hbo now has the right sesame street so yeah. we're gonna get some like game of thrones style <laughs> scenes in there like they about the adult the shit out of sesame I know, that street that would be great but yeah uh, and then no yeah. here they are just ruining that i was like oh wow if hbo has it they can totally explore the gay relationship between bert <laughs> yeah. and ernie i'm down yeah um and then you were like no like they're, they're like they're just puppets i'm like yeah but like they're characters and they, well like, i know but the but the thing is though is people are so hyper focused on like that relationship specifically it's just like um yeah they're just puppets like we're not trying to make a statement here sesame street has never tried to make a statement at least in that kind of way it's just like hey they're best friends that live together but they're puppets I don't care. As yeah. long as they're educating kids, that's what I'm... I mean, yeah. You know, whatever, because yeah. I've, you know, obviously... Again, I personally think that Sesame Street has gone down the shitter. Oh, but, my uh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> I don't really know. I don't watch, you know, I don't watch it. You know, I guess you have a kid. So I have a kid, you know, who's 50 months old, and so, you know, uh, I do yeah, I'm like, you wrong to, parenting. You have to clarify that. Set so. him right in front of a fucking <laughs> Anybody TV, listening yeah. just goes like, yeah, he, oftentimes, you know, he enjoys long walks on the beach and watching children cartoons by himself. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And we're talking like children's learning cartoons. Yeah, I really get off on it. Yeah, those, they're weird. Yeah. They are weird shows. Anyway, yeah, let's bring, <laughs> let's bring it back here. Um, so there are a couple other things in this article that I thought that were really interesting. Um, first of all, I cannot help but see the kind of language game that these radicals are playing as a kind of through through a nihilist um, uh, lens here. You yeah, know, in in that they are nihilistic and life denying because everything that they do, you know, is Especially when they're on the attack, you know, for people just living their normal lives and they're like, how could you do that? That's a symbol of oppression, all this kind of stuff. It's like you're taking – you're kind of taking the fun, at, you know, or the or the goodness out of life. And another uh, piece in the article, you know, he talks about how, you know, they're constantly asking for – you know, they're trying to fight the good fight and trying to get good politics out of it. And then they equate that if – if you're having the same politics as them, then you have good morality, right? And this is the same kind of Nietzschean idea about master and slave morality, you know, flipping things on their head. And another point that he makes that I thought that was funny was that, you know, they take a lot of these, you know, um, Frankfurt School of Philosophy and Critical Theory and he kind of calls them <laughs> Marxo-Nietzscheans. Yeah, and, and I thought yeah. that was... Really funny because I, you know, as a big Nietzsche fan myself, you know, I don't know if he was necessarily being, you know, critical of of Nietzsche specifically, but Nietzsche and Marx, I mean, they're like some of the original postmodernists, right? Right, right. And what Nietzsche did specifically was trying to, you know, you could you could say deconstruct society in a way and show what was really going on. However, I don't think Nietzsche would be into the, what the left or the right is doing at the current moment because. If we could view what they are doing as a kind of religious um, tactic, you know, he views religion as just as nihilistic as some of these other life-denying communal, I guess, projects. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, like, to go to the food aspect, you know, just let me link this here. You're like, where's Josh going with this? Yeah, Let me me show you. Yeah. So everything is good in moderation, right? I hear Mm -hmm. that all the time. Like, oh, sugar? Ah, As long as you, you know, in moderation. Moderation, You know, this like that. And I think that that could be implemented in other... Cocaine, good in moderation. (laughs) Yeah, heroin, just a little good in moderation. (laughs) Um, No, that's actually not funny. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, most things in life, moderation, you can say, is acceptable. And and to use Star Wars here, it's like you you need a balance and the force between light and dark. 
and I think that everything is right. not black Gray and Jedi's white. Gray Jedi's all the way. Yeah, so what I'm saying is, like, the reason why it's not black and white, why it's, it's, it's gray, is because I think what happens is with the left and the right is if you veer too far one way or the other, mm-hmm. it's going to get, you know, ridiculous. And you oh, need yeah. to have a duality of both. I need to, like, one day I'll wake up and I'll go, you know what, like, I'm going to spend a moment to just appreciate the happiness in my own life, my individualistic life. And, uh, yeah, I have great friends. I have good food. You know, I may not make as much, you know, it's like I don't need to think about the grandiose problems all the time because that would mentally drain you. We have one life to live and you need to balance. So I think what these radicals are doing is they're not doing that. They're they're deciding to completely eradicate any, like, attachment to happiness that they might be able to find individualistically that is not connected to the problems of capitalism. Because even if you, you know, even if you have all the terrible things in the world, like you can go, you can probably find something that you find meaning in. Right. There are so many good things in the world to find meaning. Exactly. And so for me, it's like, yes, you know, I, you know, I'm upset that, you know, like for me, I work really hard and I can't afford a one bedroom apartment, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't get to eat amazing food or I don't allocate my money to, to, right. to buy myself, a, you know, like, a, you know, a new video game if a video game comes out yeah. or, or new or to go see a movie. You know, there are things that I am enjoying in life. And, and I feel like it's that lack of, of that of that duality where you shouldn't be overjoyous either. Like you shouldn't right. just like, oh, I'm going to be blindly. Like everything's perfect. Yeah, everything's perfect. It's like, because, OK, that's not the world. Yeah, exactly. It's like so, I, you know, I guess I like to coin the phrase like optimistic realism where you can live in both right. realms of being realistic and optimistic and kind of the similar. Yeah. Back well, and, forth. you know, I just think that, you know, all the trouble in the world, you know, it's it's an integral part of our life. And but to simply just take that as like that's the only, you know, like everything is wrong in the world. So therefore. We can't enjoy the little things in life. Like, that's ridiculous. And, of course, the opposite is true. And, if, you know, bring this back to, you know, my man Nietzsche, you know, one of his uh, famous, my, my favorite quote of his is, you know, life is suffering, but survival is finding some meaning in the suffering. And right. I think that's, you know, that speaks to me a lot. And I think that if people were to take that seriously, you know, we would take these troubles that we find in our world and, you know, maybe have an optimistic view about it. It's like, okay, look. There's these troubles I can do, I can do, you know, something about that problem and I can do something about that problem, but these ones I can't really do. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to enjoy what I can and fix the problems that I can and just take part in life. I mean, that's what life is. No, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm glad, I guess, you know, like like I've mentioned uh, uh, that I think my next piece I'm I'm working on is, you know, about 1500 words. I got to, you know, finish the outro and... Um, what I'm going to wrap it up and then do some editing on it. But I, you know, to talk about optimism for a second, what I think is really important is like the Rolodex of experiences is what I often say. And I often say that, you know, how you find joy in suffering is just admitting that suffering, you know, has the potential to, to be able to reflect on that suffering, to appreciate joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be, I'm not going to expand on that cause I'm going to wait till we probably talk sure, about it, but yeah. I will share two quotes that I think simplistically, um, you know, in a beautiful way, kind of sums it up where one of my favorite quotes is when it's snowing outside, you can choose to enjoy the snow or not. Um, there's still going to be the same amount of snow. The only difference is you'll have less amount of joy. Yeah. 
um, yeah. is the first one, and then the second one is from. Um, I always mess up his name. The Calham Gurham, who wrote the Prophet. I don't. His, I always butcher his name. But he wrote the Prophet. <laughs> yeah. You'll know. Oh, and you just dropped. I'm just like making a shit ton of noise. <laughs> yeah, I'm making a shit ton of noise. Over here. Yeah, before we start, I said, "Hey, Ian. You know, we're still working on this. Can you just do me a favor and, and just be as still as possible, just so our listeners don't have to hear like crazy background stuff?" Because but I'm still I can't sit still. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got restless Ian syndrome. Right. Yeah. So you know, the quote that he says is something in the lines of, "You know, the more." that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very, very simplistically beautiful way to put that of, you know, comparing of not knowing what a good movie is to a bad one or appreciating, you know, like for you, right. The last Jedi is an objectively terrible movie, <laughs> but I mean, even you, it's like now that you've had a kid and you had the experience of watching your, you know, we talked about this off mic last night about the experience of your son being born and, you know, all the oh, emotions yeah. that you went through and, and just even hearing that, like, you know, what you experienced in that, um, those emotions of seeing, you know, holding your small little baby that you just brought into the world. Like, here's a life in your hand that you created. Mm-hmm. Like, anytime you look at your son, like, I could imagine that a part of you would Rolodex back to that experience and just remember. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that there's there's people that, that could learn the ability through practice to do that more often with the small stuff that we don't even think to do that with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Because yeah. everybody, you know, I think they know. Because that's that. the thing, you know, like, of course, you know, there is no, there's no inherent meaning or purpose in the world. You know, like as a nihilist myself, <laughs> oh my God. I know like I'm just, I'm just bringing the room down with me, but you know, there, there's like, nothing matters, but you know what? Like there are the, the world is rich with meaning if we go out and look for it. <laughs> Says you the know, man that like, just said, nothing matters, yeah. but the world is rich of meaning. You're well, like, it's because, so contradictive. It's well, a- it's, it's not necessarily contradictory. It's just that we are creatures that we couldn't survive without holding on to some kind of meaning. You know, because we're, we're very social creatures. We need that interaction. We need to find meaning in things because we've evolved to a point that we're, you know, we've got such complicated brains and complicated emotions and complicated social structures that... If we didn't go out and do this, then we would just be fucking brutes and murdering each other left and right, I think. You know, we have to find meaning in, th- in, in certain things, you know. Whether it's childbirth, whether it's uh, art or film, or whether it's podcasting or writing, you know, whatever your deal is, like, you should find some kind of meaning in, in something, you know, to bring riches to your, to your life. Because there is only, we only have one life. I'm sorry, there's most likely no afterlife, and when you die, that's it. But that should make <laughs> i know that should make life better good god yeah. right you know it's it's kind of like looking up into the night sky and seeing how vast it is you know you could react to it like oh my god we're so insignificant nothing matters the universe is enormous and most likely infinite and of course i don't matter or you'd be like look how beautiful that is and like that that makes my life more sense. Now you're starting to sound like an optimist. So I know, right? But I mean, I, I mean, I don't really know. I, I, I think I'm, I'm probably in the same category as Sam here, where I will admit that I'm going to remain agnostic because there's really no way of knowing. Sure. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'll remain agnostic because there's a part of me that's like, look, nothing happens. It is what it is. Um, if something does happen, hey, cool. Right. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't know. So, you know, I, I heard a beautiful thing uh, that uh, the comedian Ricky Gervais said about. Uh, uh, life after death you know because i mean he's a staunch atheist and right. that sounds weird to say but uh you know he's like you know nothing happens when you die it's just nothing and i think he was he had an interview with stephen colbert on on the late show 
And it's like, how could you, you know, like, what could that possibly be like? And it's just like, okay, well, do you remember that time before you were born? It's like, well, no, it's like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you, you know, like, you know, to me, of course, that's a terrifying thought. Right. But at the same time, like, if you're dead and there is nothing, like, you won't, you won't care. Right. There's no, there's no, you know, yeah, yeah, there's no negative, there's no yeah. suffering. You know, it's like, exactly. you know, it's like for me, yeah, there might not be a heaven, but no hell is cool. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah, I'll take one side of that coin <laughs> yeah. and not neglect it. Yeah. You know, but hell you're right, is you so don't. bad. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's interesting because people have near death experiences. I'll share an experience, you know, you know, my brother that passed away in February, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, love you, bro. Like, you know, he, uh, one of the times that we had found him on the floor, like he had, he was like cold. There was no heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we dragged him out into on the floor and my brother's pounding on his chest. And, and all of a sudden, like he just like comes to, and when he comes to, we like, we hold him up and we're like, that was so scary. And then like, he just goes, Ryan, why, what, what, what's going on? Why, why are we in the hallway? His consciousness came back as he was standing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then when we kind of asked him, we're like, dude, I think your heart stopped. Like, you know, it was like you, you weren't, you weren't breathing and it was like, you were really cold and we were just like, you know, pushing on your heart. And all of a sudden you started breathing again. We like lift right. you back up. And you know, when we asked him like, did you experience anything? Whatever. He's like, no, I just, I was sitting in my room and now I'm standing in the hallway. Like it was, there was no, it's kind of like going under anesthesia. Exactly. Right? So he was just like, there's no, I, I thought this, saw this funny thing that talked about how, what I love about sleeping is it's like this beautiful relationship with death because sleeping, <laughs> sleeping yeah. like simulates death where it's like, Hey, I get to just be there not doing anything, but I wake up in the morning. So it's right. like, it's like oh, this nice little, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like this more of, it's like a beautiful simulation of death, but it's not really as permanent. So that's, what's cool about it. Cause mm-hmm. I get to wake up and, yeah. you know, even the phenomena of why we need to sleep and in general and sleeping is kind of a weird thing uh, in general. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious. Sleep is weird. Sleep is you know, weird. There's, there's a, you know, it's it, awesome. It's awesome. Oh, I'm but so it's, glad. That but sleep it's exists. weird. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you bringing up that little anecdote, you know, reminds me of another time. Uh, you know, in my younger years, in my, in my younger teens, I used to do a lot of recreational mushrooms and a mutual friend of ours, uh, who remain nameless. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, I used to do a lot of recreational mushrooms with him and other friends. And there was a time he had a, um, uh, a condition where there were several times when after eating the mushrooms and, and being high for extended Okay, question. Time, I'm not I mean to interrupt, but I have yeah. to clarify one term. Yeah. So recreational mushrooms, is that what that, that when you're taking shrooms, that's just that's the term for it? Like when you say recreational, I'm thinking like so we're we talking like the, the one that go on pizza, like fungi. I mean mushrooms? well I mean like recreational re- just means that you, <laughs> you know are, if you if you eat a bunch of shiitake mushrooms recreationally, like yeah, it's to enjoy them, but not but I just in the think, same like, re- way. Re- recreational <laughs> seems to be implied. Like, like, wh- well, why like would recreational you... marijuana as a term? You know, as opposed to yeah. Do you have medical like, shrooms? Medicinal... Is there like medicinal? Uh, actually, shrooms? that's a, that's a good. I mean, that's a good question because people are using. Um, yeah, psych- well, yeah, well, well, not only that, but yeah. psychedelics. The research into that, and yeah. also Oregon is, is is on the in the process of voting on on legalizing shrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So we get into yeah. that later. But sorry, I just yeah. we just kept throwing recreational mushrooms. I'm like, I feel like you're just taking shrooms, bro. I just, like, well, recreation. yeah, I'm trying to sound a little bit more professional. <laughs> oh, thing, sure, but, sure, of course. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know, he, uh, you know, as as you know, he was uh, he's an interesting character, but he had this condition where uh, he would. After eating these mushrooms, uh, you know, after being high for a few hours, there were times where he would uh, faint. And I knew that I think he had uh, issues with fainting before, like with sights of blood. Uh, but I remember there was one specific time where we were in his apartment and he fainted uh, after being on mushrooms. And he was on the floor for, for much longer than it had normally had happened. And yeah. it was like, holy shit, I was in the living room. He was in the kitchen uh, and he fainted. It's like, 
holy shit, you know, and I'm high. It's like, oh my god, and I go over there and like rush him. And, oh thank god, I thought, figured, yeah. rush him, figured you're like, yeah, he was down for a while. I just stood there and watched him. I just stood there him. and like watched I didn't him. know what to do. Like, like <laughs> he, he must be dead. Uh, he must be dead. Like, but I remember going over to his body and of course he is not dead uh, and, he, and he didn't die. Uh, but I remember looking at him as like, I'm shaking him, like asking, you know, like, you know, saying his name to him, like, wake up. And I just remember his eye, you know, his eyes were open and it was just fucking dead eyes. It was truly terrifying for like three seconds. It's like, oh my fucking God, my friend just died. Right. But then like, he kind of like comes to, it's like, oh my God. It's like, holy shit, dude, are you all right? And he gets up, he's like, I'm fine. Like, yeah. what do you mean? What are you talking about? It's like, dude, you're on the floor. Yeah. And it's just like, no. You know, there's no, there's no connection. It's just like it stops and then starts going again. Right. You know, um, it's just really interesting. Um, right. So my 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 biggest hope is that dying is like dreaming, where you know, like uh, there's records that your 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 brain activity shows that you're dreaming, but you wake up with no recollection or memory of your dream. Mm-hmm. Um, some people do, some people don't. Like for me, yeah. it's interesting. I find that if I sleep really long, if I wake up, let's say like, you know, my, I wake up because I have to pee at like four o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. That's when I tend to dream. I don't really dream except for when I kind of, my sleep is interrupted, you know, at about five or six and I have like three to four more hours to, to catch up on sleep. I fall asleep. I fall back asleep pretty quickly, but that is the time frame that I tend to like wake up remembering my dreams. Sure. Yeah, um, and yeah. so, you know, before... I, I think I, I, I think I have a similar experience. Like if I wake up in the middle of the night yeah. and there's, and I've been dreaming, well, of course, I mean, most people dream, you know, every night, but, uh, yeah, that is, that's usually like, I'll get up and it's like, I still, I have, I have those images fresh in my head, like of what was recently going yeah, on. Yeah. You know, what's interesting yeah. is, you know, when my, you know, when my father passed away, my, you know, my mom would, would have like the first few couple weeks would have like these night terrors. Mm-hmm. But the thing about them was that she didn't remember anything except the emotion just stayed through. So, you know, oftentimes that I'd talk to her and she'd just like wake up like all you know anxious and, and I'm like, oh, what do you, what do you remember? Like what happened in the dream? And she goes, you know, I don't remember what happened. I just have this feeling of, of anxiety or this feeling right, of like right. being scared or so she would just like the emotion of what she was feeling in her dream would wake her up with no memory of the actual, you know, story or you know thing that played out in her mind. The yeah. only thing that stayed through when waking up was just the emotion of feeling that way, which I found fascinating, you know, at the time. Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. Uh you know, my uh uh, I have an ex-girlfriend who I was with for eight years, and I remember, you know, we lived together for at least at least five or six years um, uh, with each other. And I remember when we split up and she uh, moved out. It was bizarre because yeah. you, you're you're used to sleeping next to somebody for so long, and then when you go to sleep, that you know that that first night that you're not together, it's just like. Oh, there's like a void, you know, next yeah. to me, and it's 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 kind of terrifying, you know. And I am sure, like that's that's one of those reasons why a lot of people probably, you know, have a difficult time with breakups, right? Is because like there's this void out of their life, you know, like with a lot of other. Well, yeah, but I think too, it's also like you know, it's just a, it's you know, you the you know the the smell, the pheromones of the person, and right. you know, you 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 develop this life where you connect two people together. And you start to share, you know, and then all of a sudden you get used to the smell, used to how they are. And it's psychologically and like, like chemically, they merge with your brain. And, mm-hmm. and when that person is removed, you know, it's almost like withdrawal. You almost have symptoms right. of, of withdrawal because you're so used to having that other person, what they smell like, what they act like. 
And like you said, it creates this weird like void that eventually time fills because you reacclimate as we all do to your situation. Um, but I know we're being mindful of time. We're at 48 minutes. So we wanted to kind of cap this thing in about an hour. Yeah. Um, so I figured yeah, we, just, we've sufficiently gone off the rails. We have, yeah, I think we've covered yeah. the article, yeah. you know, pretty good here, <laughs> but you know, we wanted to kind of fill an hour. And so I figured we could just start expanding and that's why I wanted to name it off the rails. Uh, I know that other people have that title, but for us particularly, the reason why we thought of that idea is because we often, when we're talking about different topics, it just goes to like you do in, in normal stuff. But when you, right. when you're a conversationalist, like we tend to be, um, you know, most people would switch topics and then it would just kind of fizzle our diet that would go, no, 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 we continue to switch topics and then that topic leads us to this topic. And right. we started with the Quillette article and now I'm talking about death and dreaming. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, and that's, that's a great uh, thing too. Yeah, we'll go back and listen you know? and see kind of like, you know, know this is supposed to be like a hyper-focused episode on, <laughs> on just that article. And we did. But we, then, did we did, we yeah, did. Yeah. We covered, you know, a lot of topics. But then, of course, that's what, you know, I guess that's what we're trying to promote is like this is what it should do. It should, you know, you should use that as a bounce-off point to, right. to continue to move forward. Because we are trying to have meaningful conversation. And the implications that something like an article like this uh, uh, implies – and suggests is that there are other things in life that are uh, important to talk about. Yes. And, uh, you know, something like death, you know, or the implications of, of the loss of life and, and uh, the suffering of the world and, uh, and the good in life, you know, that's, I think that's an important conversation to have. It is. And I think, you know, of course, you know, once my piece is finalized and, you know, I think we could have a more extended episode on, on optimism or what you feel or trying to pull meaning out of situations that uh, seem uh, difficult to do that in, in our mm. current culture. You know, it's very, 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 very upset and angry all the time. And, you know, and again, I'm not saying the media helps with that. I'm not saying that, you know, it, because that's, sh- that stuff sells. Like, mm. you know, I saw that one episode of, of, of waking up where he's talking with the, with the ex dude from Google, the director um, and he's talking about like how yeah. social media is designed to, you know, like get us to spend attention on there and to clickbait, like oh, the whole autoplay uh, videos now autoplay when you go on them, that was yeah. a tactic or the whole wiggle, like when that notification wiggles, that's a tactic too. We're constantly trying to like hold the attention as, as much as possible. And, you know, when he's going off of that, he's like, you're taking these tactics to one hold and they found that, you know, um, being upset or something that triggers the anger response is, is holding attention mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and there's been people that have manipulated that. I think the, the daily, the New York times, did investigation with this couple that, uh, that runs this, you know, fake news site that they, <laughs> really? they, they made a lot of money yeah. on, and they're literally, they talked about how their, their algorithm for like, Oh yeah. When we talk about, you know, politics and I say these trigger words. So they had it almost down to like a science of like, Oh yeah. If I, if you put these words together, um, you know, that post got us like so many clicks and yeah. so I'm going to do that. And so there's literally people that are even manipulating and navigating this like hate market um, because it, it triggers a lot of a lot of people and you get a lot of people that clicks and, you know, in the game of attention, sadly, you know, they're not trying to go about it a positive way, I think. And they're learning from like the restaurant industry or anything else like Yelp or things like that. We talked about Yelp off mic where Unfortunately, good news that good news may travel fast, but bad news will always travel faster mm-hmm. and will always give you more coverage. Well, I think that just shows, too, is that, you know, the, the truth of the fact uh, that, you know, n- people react to negative uh, emotions much more uh, strong than they do positive yeah. things, you know. 
uh, and, and that's everywhere today. Yeah. Um, you know, quickly, you know, you mentioned the daily podcast uh, from the guys over at the New York Times, I guess probably guys and gals. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> one of the hosts of the uh, of the daily was uh, did a live episode with uh, the Michael Barbara. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I can look it up real I quick. Mean, he's the, he's, he does, you know, he's, he's had did, fill-ins, obviously, for stuff before, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, yep, Michael Babaro. Yep, yeah. Michael he did a live uh, a live uh, podcast with the guys Great over voice. At, I love that man's voice. He's it's got definitely a, good he's voice, got a good voice. But he did a live episode with the guys over at the Fifth Column. Oh, uh, really? They, yeah, they, they had a live episode recorded in the comedy, uh, the comedy store, the comedy cellar. Yeah, the comedy cellar in New York City. And uh, he was on there, and he was just kind of giving his perspective on um, Trump and the two years that we've had him and everything right. like that. It's yeah. a great, it was a great uh, episode. Uh, that's it. Oh, that's it. Right. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think let's yeah. wrap this up. So, okay, so I guess we'll do know, a little, you know, the end. Yeah, the I'm, there. you know, again, my name is Ian Savage. You can find me at Modern Overman on Twitter or over at www.modernoverman.com. Uh, that is my personal blog, and I write... Uh, all things nihilism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll give a shout out. If you want to follow this podcast, please, I recommend doing that. Obviously, you know, in this in this industry of, of you know, wanting your guys' attention and giving us a moment to listen to what we have to say, um, best thing you can do for us is as follow us and we would appreciate it and love it. Well, I'll mail, I'll send Ian over to your house to personally thank you wherever you are in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, oh, that's another thing that's too. And should... at... Off the rails pods, you little bees. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're yeah, good. On, yeah. We're on Twitter at off the off the rails pods, and then we uh, our podcast hosting uh, site is uh, Buzzsprout. So yep. you can find us off the rails podcast dot buzzsprout dot com. So that's kind of you know again, this is all part of that fun um, new growing stuff. And then of course to finish, I'm Josh Simpson. Um, I run my blog, the only one www.theonlyone.cf. Um, read it. Well, tell them where stuff. you can find him, find yourself on Twitter. God, you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I got one of those. That's at the only one blog. Uh, is my Twitter handle. Yeah, you know, and read my stuff because apparently I'm having a lot of censorship issues with Facebook, and so they're deeming well, my Facebook stuff. Facebook hates you. They they they, yeah. they hate me. So Not I think like you know that should maybe make me feel better that my content is <laughs> <laughs> is right. sparking. Somebody's stuff, paying so. attention. Somebody's paying attention, yeah. but. All right, so, guys. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Come back next time.